I remember a few months ago when I heard that the World Day of the Poor was coming up on November 18th. And I thought, I didn't know that there was a World Day of the Poor. Is that a new thing? After a little research, I remembered that it is, in fact, a new thing. Pope Francis instituted the day as a yearly observance in November 2016 in his apostolic letter Misericordia et Misera, issued at the closing of the Extraordinary Year of Mercy. Ring any bells? World Day of the Poor is celebrated on the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time every year and was first observed in 2017. This year, it is this Sunday, November 18th, and the theme is from Psalm 34, This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. It is a day when we are reminded not just that we have a preferential option for the poor and we must care for the poor, but that we ourselves, when in the presence of God, are but poor beggars. We all suffer from one poverty or another, and we are called to hear the cry of the poor. That means that we have to be within earshot. We have to be in a place, physical or spiritual, where we can listen to the poor. Today, let's reflect on how poverty is at the very heart of the gospel, and it's here in the cry of the poor, a call to mercy and to justice. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to another all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm Emily Callen. I'm Billy Chen. And a reminder that this program is a podcast and you can get it down off iTunes. You can also get it off Google Play. And we would love it if you would go there, Billy. And, and rate. And write a good review. Exactly. Yes. Rate us. Give us a bunch of stars. If you if you listen to this program, if you don't like this program, don't go and give no, but us. Still give yeah, us stars. Oh, still give us yeah, stars. You don't yeah, like if you, you don't like this stars. program, you can still go and give us stars. Yeah. Um, and and you can write to us and tell us what you think of us. <laughs> Radio at saltandlighttv.org. Also through Facebook or Twitter at Salt and Light TV. Instagram. I always forget Instagram. Yes. Pe- can people send us messages through Instagram? Of course. Yeah, there you, you go. You never In- use Instagram, right? No, I know. I'm old. <laughs> I don't want to do more social media. But I'm at Deacon Pedro and Emily is somewhere. At Emily. No, that's not it. I don't know my own Twitter handle. At Emmy Callen. At B. Joe Chan. And Billy is B. Joe Chan. Um, today we have Sister Marie Paul Curley joining us again. Mm-hmm. She's going to be reviewing a uh, a favorite animated movie. Ooh, which one is uh, it? I don't know. You're gonna have to stay and, and listen to, to to her segment in about 15 minutes. Um, it's a it's a new animated movie, and then <gasps> I think I know which one it is. Oh, okay. Well, stick around and, and find out. And, uh, I don't know. And then Billy has a question. Yes, I have a question about uh, women. Women. About women. Yeah, women in church. What do you? Okay. okay. What? Do you have a problem with them? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, That's that's later. Stay stay around and listen to Billy in about 20 minutes has a question about women in church. Okay. You guys, do you know who the St. Louis Jesuits are? No. This this is so hard because we have people listening to this program. Who who, probably know who they are. Who do liturgical music, like they're liturgical musicians. And you are a musician, but but you only did did, French. Exactly. And you're a musician and you only did Chinese. Chinese, yeah. So, okay, so (laughs) do you guys know this book? I actually brought it. Okay, so I definitely have seen that. So this is a book called Glory and Praise. Yes, it's Like it's probably sitting in the pews in in most of your parishes. Songs like Here I Am, Lord. Um... Um, amazing Grace. Uh, yeah, no, um, not Amazing Grace. No, that's Amazing in, Grace inside. Yes, but that's not one of these songs. One Bread, One Body, City of God. Um, um, sing a new song to the Lord. 
be not afraid. Did I say be not afraid be already? Not gather us yet. in. Gather us, gather us in. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so we can keep doing oh, this. You know, like yeah, we can. So okay, so but if I give you the names of those authors, <laughs> John Michael Talbot, Carrie Landry, Bob okay, Hurd. I actually know those names. David Haas. Yes. Marty Hogan. Yes. Michael Jonkis. Mm-hmm. Yes. So in our second half hour, the reason why I'm bringing this up <laughs> is because, not to embarrass you guys, but uh, in our second half hour, we're going to be speaking with Ken Canedo, who's a liturgical composer. Name. You know Ken, right? He's also been in this program a few times. He's an author. We spoke to him about four years ago when he published a book called Keep the Fire Burning, which was the story of the folk mass revolution. Because what happened is that the the mass was translated to the vernacular and all of a sudden we had to do mass in English and there was no music in English except all the old hymns that had been used by the, by right. the Protestants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then because it was in the 60s, there was all this folk music and that's the folk oh. mass came out of that. And then the next stage of that story is this book. It's called From Mountains High, Contemporary Catholic Music from 1970 to 1985. And it's a fascinating mm. story. Um, I'm, I've been a liturgical mm-hmm. musician of, uh, for, forever, and I've played and sang all these songs for so many years. I found it. It was a fascinating read, and I'm sure all the liturgical musicians out there um, will want to stay and listen to my conversation with Ken Canedo, which is in about 25 minutes. And apparently, Billy and Emily also need to stick around and listen to that conversation <laughs> with Ken Canedo. Um, and then at the end of the program, we're going to actually be speaking to another liturgical musician, Mikey Needleman. He's even more, more, more contemporary than these guys from the 70s and 80s. Um, but Mikey is uh, going to talk to us about what it's like to build a parish from the ground because he's in a new parish and the building is not even built. Oh. They're actually in a Whoa. school gym. So oh. I'm sure that there might be listeners that have had similar experiences. Mm-hmm. And so he's got some, some so you want to share some thoughts about that. And he also wants to share some liturgy tips. So this is good for Billy because, Billy, you gave us some tips about how to pay attention at Mass. Yes. So uh, Mikey is a liturgical musician and he's an expert. So he's going to give us some liturgy t- tips. That's at the end of the program. So why don't we start with a song? Uh, here's Mikey Needleman uh, with his Easter sequence from his album, Your Ways. Christians to the Paschal Victor, offer your thankful praises, a lamb that she redeems, Christ who only is sinless, reconciled Oh, wait. 
That was Mikey Needleman with his Easter sequence from his album, Your Ways. And we're going to be speaking with Mikey Needleman at the end of the program in about five minutes. Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. But first, Emily's still here with our news. Big Mm -hmm. meeting happening in the United States right now. Yes, exactly. So the USCCB, so the bishops of the United States Mm -hmm. of America, are meeting this week in Baltimore. So, um, well, actually it's done. Sorry, they are meeting between November 12th and the 14th. Exactly. Um, And, and of course, there's been a lot of anticipation or there was a lot of anticipation around this meeting. And at the heart of these conversations are what they were hoping to really um, to really discuss is the whole sex abuse crisis, everything right. that came out this summer. So um, so they did get together. But at the beginning of their meeting, there was actually at the at the opening, uh, the president, so Cardinal Daniel DiNardo, who's the Archbishop of Galveston, Houston. Um, he sh- shared with them that actually a lot of the voting that they were supposed to do on new procedures um, to, you know, with, with regards to protection of minors or implementing new kind of resolutions, especially with regards to um, transparency and keeping bishops accountable, uh, that all, a lot of that voting that they were planning on doing, um, the Vatican asked them not to do the voting, not to vote on any okay. on anything, uh-huh. um, because they wanted or they were asking the bishops of the, of the United States to wait until the February meeting, um, which is going to be an international gathering of uh, right. bishops from all of from every episcopal uh, conference around uh-huh. the world, right? Okay. Um, on this very topic. So they're going to be meeting for a number of days in Rome in February to discuss this. So they're saying, please so wait. So don't w- vote until then. Okay. Yeah, and this and this. Command, I guess, came from yeah. the congregation of bishops. Okay. So, um, but then as they were continuing their meetings, they realized, well, nothing really stops us from still continuing these conversations. And uh, and so um, they were sharing in a letter, you know, um, one of these days, uh, they sent a letter to the Pope, expressed his proximity and his, and their support uh, to the Pope, and also um, expressed the urgency that they feel with regards to this um, to this uh, issue of right. uh, sexual abuse in the yes. church, especially in the U.S. Um, and so they were asking uh, Pope Francis to to in- eventually, um, you know, uh, include their proposal to include bishops in their own chart for protection of children and young people in the right. U.S. Um, they also mentioned the 2002 resolutions that were taken after the first kind of major crisis came out. Yeah. Um, so they're saying, you know, a lot of has been done with that, but we need to go even further. Um, it's a good fruit, but we need to go further. And um, I would say that's kind of the gist of it. And they're also asking for an right. independent uh, investigation mm-hmm. uh, with regards to uh, former Colonel uh, Theodore McCarrick. Right. Um, and that a lot, and whatever comes out of that to be made public. Right. So I'm they're sure, sharing. Yeah. So, yeah. So you know, I'm sure we're going to hear lots more about this story as it develops. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Big so number two. Big appointment at the Vatican. Big appointment at the Vatican. So um, Pope Francis named the Archbishop of Malta. His name is uh, Bishop Charles Sucluna as the new uh, sec- adjunct secretary to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Right. Now, um, for those who don't know, um, Archbishop Sucluna uh, has been kind of a major player and a well-respected 
I guess, investigator into sex abuse cases uh, in the Vatican. Um, He was sent to Chile to do an investigation when every when, you know, there were kind of all came out when all that came out and bishops resigned after that at the suggestion of Bishop Cicluna, Archbishop Cicluna, who had said to the Pope, you know, like, this is what's going on. And and this is what I recommend. So so he's kind of a major player in that. And he's just been named as adjunct secretary to the CDF. Yeah, so that's good news. Congratulations mm-hmm. to Bishop Shikluna. And uh, and finally, yes. um, the Holy See announced a new trip for Pope Francis in 2019. So between March 30th and March 31st, he'll be going to Morocco. Yes. Uh, it's the second time a Pope goes to visit or uh, goes to to yeah. uh, to Morocco. The first time was Pope John Paul II in 1985. Um, and Morocco is mainly a Muslim uh, country. 1% is Christian. Right. So. Good. Yeah. Good. I'd like to go to Morocco. Right. Anyway, so I'm sure we'll get more information about that as we get closer to that date. And you'll be able to watch the coverage of that uh, trip right here on Salt and Light Television. Thank you, Emily. Emily Callan, our news producer for the Salt and Light Hour. You can follow her at Emmy Callan. Hey, what's going on? It's Joe Melendrez, and you have been chosen to listen to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Let's go. My name is Deacon Pedro. The Salt and Light Hour is available on your Google Play Store. You can also find it off iTunes. Subscribe and take the show with you wherever you go. And now it's time for Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister, welcome back to the program. Oh, thank you. And I have a great movie to discuss yes. today. Um, and actually, I'm I'm hoping you have an opinion on this. Did okay. you, which movie did you enjoy better? It's The Incredibles, which came out, Okay. it's like ancient history, yes. or The Incredibles, Incredibles 2, which is releasing <sighs> the DVD, I think, last week. You know, without, week. without giving it too much thought, I'm going to say I enjoyed the first one more. But maybe because it was just so new and, 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 and everything was new. Whereas with the second one, it, it's, sequels are always hard. Um, there were some yeah. really interesting things in the, in, the, in the second one and some new stuff, but it didn't feel as fresh. Yes, I have to agree. I did feel that it's not as strong as the original. And I actually, you know, it, the, the Incredibles are all about both, you know, both movies. The characters are about family. Yeah. And so when they separate the family members out in this in this movie, um, you know, it picks up right after the end of the first movie. So yes. both parents are out of work and superheroes are still illegal. Yeah. And so when Elastigirl gets the opportunity to go to work as a superhero to kind of be the confidence builder for superheroes to make it legal again. Yeah. Um, when they when Bob and Helen or Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl are separated, it becomes. I don't know, it just felt long and a bit repetitive. Mm. But overall, um, as I was kind of unpacking the movie for myself, I, I just saw it um, online and get to see it in the theaters. Um, as I was unpacking it, I realized, actually, there's a lot here that could go deeper. So, I mean, of course, it's a great Disney Pixar film mm-hmm. director, writer, Brad Bird, does a fantastic job. Um, the quality of everything, visually, the voices, and even, uh, you know, the storyline, it, it's really well done. Yeah. Um, I think what's challenging is that the movie relies on a lot of stereotypes for shorthand. And uh. so uh, apart from Bob, Mr. Incredible's character, none of the other characters really seemed to need to grow. They seem to yeah. be pretty much 
in the same place as they were before. Um, but Bob's character is very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. He becomes the stay-at-home dad whose self-confidence is so deeply shaken because he wasn't picked to be the lead superhero this time. Mm-hmm. And so his character, I mean, I hated his griping, to be honest. I was like, I'm ready to shake him, you know? Um, you're supposed to be a superhero, but he right. does a great job in becoming a stay-at-home dad. And in the process, I think he illustrates how hard good parenting really is huh. and how much, uh, what what the beauty um, and the special gifts of fatherhood are. Right. And that was a real standout for me in the film. I just, I really enjoyed that part. Yeah. So overall, I think the movie works best Um both the movie and the characters work best when the family's together. <laughs> right. Interesting. Um, yeah. You know, and there's a lot of other uh, themes. I'm, I'm posting up, up a guide, actually, for this movie because it has so much to it. But looking at superpowers, what makes a hero, um, the tension between even between men and women, who's better, who's smarter, who's stronger. Right. Um, it, ex- it even explores those issues a little bit. So mm-hmm. it is a great, very entertaining family film. Um, maybe not quite as entertaining as the first film, mm-hmm. but it's still really a lot of fun and offers a lot to talk about if, um, it, you know, use the movie as a launching point in our families to um, talk about some of these issues. That's true. I uh you know, you you watch these movies and you're you just want to be entertained, but you're right. It does ask those questions about you know who gets to stay at home, who gets to work, you know, stay at home moms, working moms. Even even I think it was interesting that what you said about the family being separated, but uh, you know, it gives the 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 children an opportunity to be superheroes themselves. So there's a little bit of a coming of age for them as well. Um, yeah. True. Yeah. Anyway, um, good movie. If people haven't seen it, um, I'm trusting that they've seen the first one. If they haven't, they should watch the first one and then the second one. But uh, uh, yeah. it's certainly for the whole yeah, family. It's a lot excellent. of fun. And they really work together because yes, they, they do. Within, they pick up within the same day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's The Incredibles. Thank you. Um, Sister Marie Paul. Deacon Pedro, it's always a joy to be here. Absolutely. So that's Sister Marie Paul. She's with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul. You can read her blog, and so that guide that she was talking about to the Incredibles, at her blog, windowstothesoul.wordpress.com. And you can also follow her at Sister M. Paul. Hey, everybody, it's Marie Miller, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Listen to this program again at saltandlighttv.org slash radio or download the podcast off iTunes or Google Play. And now it's time for... Church for Dummies. With Billy Chan. Hello. Billy, you have a question. I have a question. has been bugged me a long time. Really? Yes. Okay. Because when I see things like, you know, in a church, you know, in a church, I normally not... Paying a lot of attention. <laughs> you're not paying attention to mass, but you're the one who told us how to pay attention to yes. mass. <laughs> yes, but anyway, you know, I, I need to confess here. But anyway, okay. Um, my question is this: you know, I saw recently some people, uh-huh. um, not recently, but you know, has has been a really long time. Yeah. People who attend mass, who oh. especially women, women, I think it's only women uh-huh. doing that, and doing what? Uh, they have a little cloth or veil. Uh, uh, veil. Putting on the top of their oh, head, of their head, yeah, and they keep 
putting it there. Sometimes it's black, sometimes white. Yes. And uh, yeah, w- why do they yeah, do so this? This veil, it's actually called a mantilla. The mantilla? Ones that look, yeah, the ones that are made of lace. Is it English? Is this something that you see more commonly in Chinese Catholics or anywhere? No, anywhere. Because I think it's also cultural. Now, it used to be, it used to be before Vatican II, uh-huh. or before, I don't know, there's a new code of canon law, okay. that, that women were obliged to cover their heads oh, really? when they went to Mass. That has been changed. Oh. So it you're still you're still welcome to free to cover your head if you want to but you don't have to most women don't and I think it has to do it goes back to Jewish times like Orthodox wow. Jewish women cover their heads as a sign of modesty and it's a sign of respect um, I think Saint Paul talks to the Corinthians about women have to cover their head and it's funny because then for the same reason men do not cover their heads and it yeah. has to do with with how we respect God, and it's a little complicated. But I think, I think in short, it has to do with, like, it's a symbol of respect. And I actually um, found a beautiful uh, uh, reflection once that, that had to do with, and I don't know the reason, uh-huh. but it said that we cover things that are sacred. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. So it is beautiful. So wow. in that sense, clearly my long hair is not sacred, but my wife's long hair is. <laughs> um, but see, think of this, Billy, when you go to the church, have you yeah. ever seen a church that has a tabernacle? It actually has a cloth yes. over the tabernacle. So the yes. tabernacle is veiled. Oh. Sometimes when they bring the chalice yes. to the altar, it's veiled. It has a cloth over it. In fact, you could even argue that the altar cloth, the altar is veiled. So we cover things that are sacred. So in that sense... And when we see the adoration too, right? And Exactly, exactly. So yeah, and sometimes even the monstrance is a veil. So so the veil is not a sign of subserviency to to men (laughs) or it's not misogynistic or whatever. So it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of modesty. Um, it, but it's it's you know, you, but it's covering something that's that's sacred. It's a sign of reverence and surrender to God's will. But it's not mandatory. It's allowed, but it's not mandatory. Is it any cough? Will do. I think so. I think so. So the color doesn't matter, so. right? Fact, White, it, it, black. You, no. And in fact, you might notice that some women. In fact, this Sunday, last uh-huh. Sunday, there was a woman in my parish, and she was just wearing a hat. Oh. For men. It's a sign of respect you to remove to. your mm-hmm. hat. Mm-hmm. So if a man, uh, uh, back in the day, remember, you, you'd, you'd meet a woman, you'd take your hat off as a sign of respect. Women don't have to take their hats off as a sign of respect. If you go into a public building, you take your hat off. Women don't have to take their hats off. So, so, so a woman can actually can wear a hat. But I don't know if that's so much a religious thing as a cultural norm. This is also like very behavior. interesting when we go to church, what should we wear? Then I mean, you know, this yes, is yes. You should wear. You should yeah, wear a popular idea, something right? Something that yeah. If you were going to meet the queen, what would you wear? Ah. That ugly shirt. What do you mean? Or, <laughs> Billy's wearing a very nice shirt. Would you wear an ugly? You know, would you wear a tank top and flip flops, or would you dress up? So if you're going to dress up to meet the queen, why wouldn't you dress up to go to mass? So basically, you are now you know going to 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 mass is actually you are meeting a king. You know, can you I say are, that? You, you, meet, are. Meet, you, you meet Jesus. Well, yeah, you should, and you should dress, up. dress up. like. Well, not dress up, but you should be... be so you should be uh, very respectful, right? Yes, you should dress up in, in, in a, as a sign of respect. Um, and sorry, I just mentioned the queen. In England, it's very common. You look at all the royal yeah. weddings and stuff. All the women, they dress yeah. up, they're wearing a hat, Yeah. right? It's always a hat. So the, for some reason, for women, the hat is a sign of respect. For men, it isn't. 
So it's a, it's it's mandatory. <laughs> it's it's allowed, but it's not mandatory. Okay. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you, Billy Chan. There you go. You you should not cover your head when you go to mass, I but won't. your wife can. Billy Chan is a seasoned radio host, and he's the webmaster behind SaltandLightTV.org. You can follow him at Chan. Coming up in our second half hour, contemporary Catholic music in the 70s and 80s, and a featured chat with Mikey Needleman. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. If you were attending Mass in the 70s and 80s, you probably have great memories of singing City of God, Be Not Afraid, Sing to the Mountains on Eagle's Wings, and Blessed Are They. If you were a liturgical musician, you probably used Glory and Praise or OCP's Music Issue or GIA's Gather. You're probably familiar with the names Bob Dufford, Dan Schutte, John Foley, Michael Jonkas, David Haas, Marty Haugen, John Michael Talbot. But do you know their stories? Do you know how we came from having an English translation of the Mass to English hymns and then the folk music revolution through the Jesus movement and that great Catholic music that we remember so well and maybe are still even now singing? Four years ago, liturgical musician and author Ken Canedo published a book, Keep the Fire Burning, The Folk Mass Revolution, and we spoke to him about it on this program. Now Ken has written part two of that story, From Mountains High, Contemporary Catholic Music, 1970 to 1985. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Ken Canedo. Ken, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Well, thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's always great to be with you. So I, I, I'm fascinated by, fascinated by this story, and it, it seems to me that there were like all these things that were happening at the same time that made a lot of this wonderful music kind of happen. What would you say was unique about how the, what was happening that made this church music develop in the early 70s? Well, there were so many things uh, happening culturally, and uh, socially and historically, politically, in the 1970s, and I cover that in my book. Yeah. Uh, one of my premises in, in both my books is that the liturgical music was definitely influenced by what was happening in the world at the time that influenced the composers. Right. So in the early 70s, as you mentioned in the introduction, we're talking about the Jesus movement. Uh, we're talking about... Um, you know, America's race to the moon. We're talking about political things like uh, Watergate in America, right. or the war in Vietnam, yeah, and, and Jesus music on the radio, secular music like George Harrison's "My Sweet Lord" or Jesus uh-huh. Superstar, yeah, yeah, Godspell. yeah. All that was going on in the early 1970s, and the self-esteem movement. And one of my uh, premises is that this influenced the composers, whether they realize it or not. And we're also in the in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, the changes that came about in the liturgy and the first wave, the folk mass music, and how that kind of led to uh, uh-huh. further development of songwriting. 
by these 1970 composers. There's something really specific. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that there's something really specific about the, that songwriting that was happening. Like, it, it doesn't. I don't see it happening today that you might end up with, you know, five Jesuits in seminary that all happen to be writing music and they all are writing excellent stuff and they collaborate. Like, why was it? And, and the Damians, you could say the thing, same thing about them. You know, what was what was happening that may that maybe led to those wonderful compositions or collaborations that were taking place at that time period? Well, I like to use the kind of trite example of saying that it was all part of a perfect storm. Yeah. I mean, the Holy Spirit. I mean, yeah. those five uh, young Jesuits that you mentioned were there at St. Louis University, and they had mass every Sunday, and they started singing their songs. They're writing music for the needs of the liturgy, and that word got out in the region, and their masses were filled with people. The chapels that people flocked from all around to hear this music and sing yeah. with them. It helped shape their own composing when they received the good feedback from the many people who were with them. Yeah. And the Jesuits, being Jesuits, you know, they they were studying liturgy. They were studying scripture. They were setting the actual scriptural texts yes. to music. And yes. That wasn't always happening in the 1960s, mm-hmm. folk mass days. No, so I But that know. was an innovation also. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's why some of those songs are still being sung. Um, a big part of the story, of I, I think, also, Ken, had to do with, with publishing. So tell us a little bit about NALAR and, and World Library, GIA, OCP. How all the, like, what was happening that made it possible for these organizations, I guess NALAR being the, the main one, that were actually, that they started publishing music and that there was a need for music to be published. Right. North American Literature Resources, uh, NALR, or as people call it, Nailer, yeah. uh, was an offshoot from World Library, which was orig- originally in Cincinnati. World Library Publications was one of the original longtime uh, publishers of, of hymnals in English during the council. Yeah. And um, NALR, Ray Bruno, kind of broke off from them, started his own company, eventually moved out to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And at that time, FEL Publications, the original folk mass publisher, was going through uh, their own problems with litigations, lawsuits against the church because of copyright infringement. So uh-huh. NLR was in place to fill a vacuum, a need for publishing contemporary Catholic music. And boy, did they ever, because all those composers just happened to be looking for someone to publish them. I mean, you... you Jesuits, Carrie Landry... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all, all, yeah, all of them. I mean, you, 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 you start off the book with this wonderful story about Ray Bruno, and um, in fact, Ray Bruno, he, he must have been like a trailblazer. I mean, he was a man who, who, who maybe was taking risks and, and, and making choices that other people maybe wouldn't have, have, have done. So maybe it is, you know, people like Ray Bruno that were totally inspired by the Holy Spirit... Um, to participate in that perfect storm that you described. Um, I can imagine there's so many people that you talk about in the book that, um, I mean, many of them are still alive. So you must have spent a lot of time, Ken, talking to people, (laughs) interviewing people. Tell me a little bit about the process of kind of gathering all this information, I guess not just for this book, but for the first one, and then I guess for the others that are coming as well. What was that like? Well, it was... was very long process, but also very enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I always do is to do research. What's out there already? You know, go on the internet and, and yeah. enter the name, the Damien's, and see what pops up. Yeah. And then I, I 
because of my own back, long background in this music industry, liturgical music industry, I used to work for FPL Publications. I had connections of my own with some of these composers, and uh, I kind of, kind of looked them up and I found articles about them, and then eventually I got in touch with them and either interviewed them in person or did it by interv- uh, by uh, right. email or by yeah. telephone. Yeah. It's it's been, it was a very long but very rewarding process and in the long sometimes I had tons of material like the St Louis Jesuits I can imagine so open to the press all these years I found tons of material in them other composers I couldn't find anything at all and I had to right. really dig deep yeah but, uh, it was a good process I can imagine yeah I can imagine you you dedicate such a great part of the book to the St Louis Jesuits you can probably just do a book just about them. Um, in fact, I'd love to see a documentary just about them. But then I flipped over to the little section when you speak about the Damians, and I thought, wow, like we could do a little documentary about them as well. Like there's, and again, people might not recognize the name the Damians, the way they recognize the St. Louis Jesuits, but they maybe they have heard of Gary Alt, Buddy Caesar, uh, Daryl Ducott, you know, like oh, absolutely. right. So and they know those names, and they know the songs. Look beyond the new creation. Shout out our joy, you know. Look beyond right. is probably yeah. you know I've sang exactly. that song so many times. Um, uh, can th- so this is this is the second book. I presume that there's a third book. Is it? Are there going to be more books coming down the pipes with this story? Yeah, well, you know, this second book from Mountains High was 1970 to 1985, and yes, I am working on a book that will cover 1985 to 2000. Uh-huh. There, but I need more time to pass. <laughs> so that I can write about it more objectively. Yeah. Uh, but, but in the meantime, I'll do my interviews. So that's book, book four. Yeah, okay. Book, book three, which I'm writing simultaneously, and I'm going back to the time of the council, okay. writing about great composers who were not using guitars. Okay. Choral organ composers. Joseph Jelenow, Lucian Dan. Oh, yeah. Or Peter. They're all being forgotten right now, unfortunately. And their story needs to be told also, so I'm digging deep to find them. A lot of those great composers are no longer with us, so it takes yeah. a little so bit a little harder. research to find yeah. people who knew them or articles about them, books yeah. about them. Well, that's wonderful, Ken, because, because it is, you're right, it's a, it's, these are stories that have to be told and nobody else is telling them, so I'm so glad that you... Are, are that you that you found the time and that you're that you that you're able that we're able to do these books and that you're working on the other two because uh, it's a fascinating story and fascinating history that needs to be that needs to be told so thank you for doing what you do and I look forward to the other two books oh thank you um one thing I've noticed when I go around and and do appearances for my books mm-hmm. and we sing through the songs is how people tell me not only was it a nostalgic experience, but also it spoke to them yeah. on their own spiritual development. This is like the soundtrack yes. of their spiritual growth. Yeah. And that's why it touches people so deeply. People don't realize that yeah. growing up with these songs, how much it helped them to grow in their relationship with Christ. Yeah, no, and, and that I, alone is yeah. very, uh, very rewarding for me when I get out there and meet yeah. people. No, and I can relate to that because I can, I can probably say that that's my my own experience of growing up with this music because I'm right in that generation. Um, so thank you, thank you very much, Ken. Good to talk to you. Thank you, thank you, Deacon Pedro. 
Ken Canedo is an accomplished liturgical composer and author and historian. He is the author of Keep the Fire Burning, The Folk Mass Revolution, A History of Contemporary Catholic Music in the 1960s, the sequel from Mountains High, Contemporary Catholic Music, 1970 to 1985, that we just spoke about, is published by Pastoral Press and available at ocp.org and also at Amazon. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Mikey Needleman, with Starlight from his album Your Ways. Never that world you live in Take away what you've been given This world is yours and they can't take it away Listen to these words I'm saying This crazy life is yours for the taking Don't you get yourself down thin Don't got what it takes Starlight, star bright First song I sing to That was Mikey Needleman with Starlight from his album, Your Ways. Now, Mikey Needleman has been on this program three times, so you should already be acquainted with him. Last year, he spoke to us about his latest liturgical album, We Ask of You. This past year, Mikey has been busy helping build a parish from the ground up. 
He's also passionate about liturgy, and so he's going to be offering us some liturgical tidbits. So I'm looking forward to that. So uh, it's great to have Mikey Needleman. Welcome, Mikey, back in the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. So good to be here. And you know what? I mean, uh, you're, you, you've always been so... Uh, uh, outspoken about the fact that you're a liturgical musician, you're passionate about liturgy, and uh, we just finished speaking with Ken Canedo about how the little bit of the history of that liturgical music um, that I'm sure you grew up with as well as I did, you know, in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, first question I wanted to ask you is if all those musicians or those composers, you know, the, the St. Louis Jesuits or uh, uh, Michael Jonkas, David Haas, Marty Haugen, um, even John Michael Talbot, were any of them significant to you in, or that you can look back at the stuff that they were writing that might have influenced who you are today? Absolutely. I think, you know, the, the Marty Hagen stuff, I, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of go anywhere and not hear. Yeah, I know. Like I, that even today. Yeah. Massive creation. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. And that's kind of my go-to yeah. anyways, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm leading, uh, somewhere where, um, Maybe I haven't led or, or, you know, it's it's at a parish that I've never been at or something like that. I always usually choose that one because I feel like it's just, it's kind of in the fabric of um, of, of Catholic music. So Yeah, and um, you know people are going to yeah. know it. Yeah, people are going to be able to, yeah, to sing totally. it because they know it. And yeah. even, if, even if it's like a wedding where maybe there's some fallen away Catholics or people who haven't been at church in a while, like even the, the revised words, um, it's still a familiar tune and, and yeah. um, it makes them feel feel at home so definitely uh marty hagen but um you know i actually had the pleasure of, of meeting david hass like uh-huh. uh like uh, a couple uh yes uh, years ago and that yeah. was kind of cool i didn't know who he was you know you kind of don't know the people's name like faces with the names and then, yeah you know, and then I he's like i wrote blessed and, are they yeah i know yeah yeah <laughs> exactly That's so funny. uh so that was kind of cool um and yeah but you're exactly right i think uh growing up i mean those are the those are the songs that you sang yeah, you know, absolutely. Every, every I know, eh? Wow. And and today, like you said, people are still singing them. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, there might be all this great new stuff, all the new great liturgical music by Mikey Needleman, and people still go to <laughs> Be Not Afraid and Here I Am, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, honestly, I was at Mass this morning, and um, yeah, they sang, uh, they sang You Are Mine. And I was right. like, yeah. yeah. You know? so yeah. Right out of the hymnal, just like, just like it's been since I was going to, you know, Mass at his age, too, you know? Yeah, there you go, David Haas. Classic, you are mine. Um, You are in a new parish um, that doesn't even have a building yet. What's that like? (laughs) Oh man, it's it's yeah. We are a we are quite literally a garage startup. Do you have like a Uh, sound? There's no sound system, like (laughs) or a crappy. Oh man, well let me let me just start (laughs) with the beginning. So so we uh, so this pastor's name is Pastor uh, Andrew Strobel. He's I had worked with him in different parishes before, but he was always just the kind of associate pastor. And when he was named the founding pastor of this unknown, you know, no non-named church, I I texted him immediately and said, "I want, you know, I want it and I want to do this." What a you know, uh, awesome gift to start a parish, to start a church, uh, to build something where you know we hear about so many different church consolidations hmm. and yeah, yeah, downsizing, yeah. and uh, what an awesome way. And you know. Uh, Personally, you know, there's been a lot of uh, struggle uh, with me being, you know, a, a Catholic artist about, you know, kind of um, fighting culture. And um, uh-huh. I was like, man, I, I really want to just develop culture. I want to develop a, a culture of evangelization, to develop a culture of, of singing, of worship, of, of, you know, dynamic praise, all that kind of stuff. So that was also very alluring. So um, 
so I got hired on uh, as the director of worship and the director of evangelization and, you know, very uh, vague uh, job titles because, of, you know, we have to kind of do everything yeah. um, when you're starting something up. There's not, I can't just say, well, I'm only going to do this. It's like, yes, I'm going to do whatever needs not. to be done. So, um, so we, uh, the rector, the, the, uh, we, we have a rectory that the priest stays at and that rectory used to be a model home. So the, uh-huh. uh, the garage is finished. So that's where our offices are. Right. So I'm not lying when we say we are a garage startup, like that my office is... is in a garage. Wow. Um, along with, you know, we have eight people on staff, including the pastor and we are all, uh, in that garage, you know, uh, it's a three-car garage, it's a large garage, but we're all there in wow. one room making this thing happen. And okay, so so back up for a second, because you, yeah. you wanted to go and work in some parish that didn't even have a building yet. Were, were you... Absolutely. Were you not in a parish already? Or like how... At <laughs> that point, I had been removed from parish life for about a year. Okay, um, okay. Yeah. God had, had, had been giving me plenty of opportunities to like um, kind of serve uh, freelance, yeah. Um, I had been working in different parishes, uh, you know, for, for, okay. you know, the past 10 years or so. And so the time was right. Was like, like I was just, the timing. Yeah. Was right. Yeah. Did you, I was just feeling, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So right. is it, is it, is it a, a new development, like a new area? Is it a new community or are there parishes closing somewhere else that they're kind of bringing all to this area? Like why? It's is... definitely suburban, yeah. uh, kind of almost rural. Um, and it's just that urban sprawl right. uh, that there's a lot of development going in that area. The yeah. neighboring parish uh, was about uh, 4,000 families. Okay. Um, so it was it was needed. You know, there was just so many people going out in that area mm-hmm. that we needed to, the archdiocese said, hey, this is where we need to, to put a church. Um, unfortunately, yeah, just like many dioceses in yeah. our urban areas and stuff like that, we were we are, you know, currently consolidating. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, because in the Archdiocese of Toronto, for example, a lot of the parishes in the downtown area might be closing or being amalgamated. But if you go into the mm-hmm. urban, you know, they're building, they're actually building a new church building a year, one a year. So that's how much wow. is growing outside of the city. But it's a huge Archdiocese. Sure. Um, I can imagine yeah. that there, there, there are challenges that come with, with this, but I can also think of, of the blessings, which is probably why you wanted to be involved. Tell me a little bit about those yeah. blessings, that this new community coming together, families starting something new in a school gym. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, it, it is, um, everybody kind of has this pioneer spirit about it. Yeah. You know, we were very clear uh, that, if you you know if you're in the new boundaries, we drew new boundaries. The, the diocese said, if you want to stay inside your you know other parish, you you can. Yeah. Uh, we just need to make sure everybody's accounted for. Or if you're outside those boundaries, but you want to be part of this new parish, you can do that as well. We want to be uh, open to you know having people where where they they feel they're they're being called to. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think we really got a lot of people with a pioneer spirit who said, you know, I'm going to give up a uh, a sanctuary uh, with all the comforts of a normal church experience, and I'm going to go to mass in a gym. And the thing is, is we have a grade school about walking distance from our rectory yeah. that um, we have. It's a public grade school that we have. Uh, we we basically have to host all of our Sunday uh, masses uh-huh, at, uh-huh. Um, and we have to set up uh, chairs every um, we week. To, yeah, we have to bring in our own sound system, which was a whole thing. We had <sighs> to. 
uh, get a mo like kind of a, I put together like a mobile sound rig, and we have an AV team that yeah, yeah, Saturday yeah. afternoon wow. goes to the rectory, wow. loads up, brings it over, yeah. sets it all up. Wow. Um, you know, everything from the ample mics to the, the Deacon's, uh, yeah. you know. Everything, uh, all the vestments, everything, yeah. Everything, yeah. Wow. So we are a mobile mobile church at this point. Everything has to be able to be picked up and taken somewhere. And um, uh, But I presume but, you're you're building a proper church building at some somewhere. Correct. Yeah, yeah. okay, We're so that's happening. architects. Oh, you haven't even started building stuff. yet. Correct. We wow. are hoping to have a capital campaign ready to submit in January. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then rules for our diocese is we have to have 50% of that capital raised before we can break ground. Um, but I think that there's a lot of uh, uncomfortableness. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen uh, because we don't have our own church building that the parish actually experiences, and they, they feel that. And I think it makes everybody just that much more hungry yeah. to, I can see that. to yeah. start building i can see that um, but even even just yeah. e- even just i think just hungrier to just kind of participate more fully not just in the parish life but also in liturgy i can imagine like people are are that much more committed because it's their parish you know what i mean um, well yeah and you know for about three months or so we didn't even have a name oh, we wow. were the we were the new uh johnson county parish that was our that That's was our like funny. name our bank account was in that everything was just new johnson county parish That's our facebook everything and then um you know we we did the kind of a poll where we uh asked the parish to submit what they think our name should be we had all kinds of great names and beautiful names beautiful saints beautiful you know devotions yeah. um, that were that came in and um, we submitted uh the top six to uh our archbishop nauman and uh he gave us the name St. John Paul II. Oh, nice. Um, which was which was beautiful, which was awesome. I mean, we're, we're one of the very first St. John Paul II churches in, you know, yeah. in, in the world, you know? Um, more and more are probably opening, but it's really cool to know that we're, uh, we're our, our patron saint is is St. John Paul II. That's wonderful. Okay, Mikey, we totally almost out of time, but I didn't want to leave you without <laughs> getting some of those liturgical tidbits. So, like, pick your top three top kind of liturgical suggestions so that people can enter deeper into the mystery of the Mass. Sure. I love sharing uh, before Mass that, you know, there's a reason for everything we do. Yeah. Um, literally everything has a symbolic and a functional purpose, and usually the functional starts first, and then it kind of teaches us about our faith, yeah. um, which is kind of cool. So um, incense, for example, everybody, uh-huh. you know, it's like, why do we do incense? We only do that on special days, and we only do that on whatever. It's like, well, why do we do it? And it's like, well, functionally... People smelled bad back in the day. It was a way to make people feel right. uh, more comfortable, uh, that they would be okay with getting in a uh, yeah. uh, in a room with a bunch of people. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But then, uh, symbolically, we look at the, the, the uh, smoke and how it billows towards heaven, just like our right. prayers do, and yeah. it's talked about in the uh, book of Revelation. So at first, it's like, okay, it smells. Okay, why does it smell? And then what does it teach us? Mm-hmm. Um, the second one that I like to talk about is the candles at, at Mass. You know, we have electricity. We don't need candles, really, to, to, to have Mass. Yeah. Like, you know, we don't, we don't uh, yeah, physically need them. Yeah. But exactly. So why do we have them? And like, okay, the functional is in the early church with the, uh, you know, in the catacombs and the caves. They, and needed, also, they needed it to be able just, yeah, they just to have that light. And then, well, of course, what's the symbolic? And the symbolic is... You know, the light of Christ, mm-hmm. um, you know, our, our, our baptismal candle, um, just the fact that there's no darkness that could ever overcome the light. Very, 
very um, very deep theological right. uh, symbolism in that. Um, so that so that's that's another one I like to talk about. I think uh, the third one would be, um, you know, why are our, uh, chalices and sublime? Why is that gold? Um, you know, what's the what's the why would we you right. know, have that yeah. of precious yes. metal? Yes, the metal. Yeah, and so it's like, well, the functional is it's it's going to last, it's going to be durable, it's going to uh, not chip. It also, um, the bacteria and germs yeah. can't culture on that. So when we do, you know, when you go and you take the precious blood and all that kind of stuff, you're, right. you can, you know that you're not... Sharing uh, all the germs. germs on yeah. Exactly. So that's very functional. Well, and then what's the symbolic? What, why, why do we have that? Well, our, a king has gold. You know, Christ is our king. He is deserving of our... Of, all of our, you know, most precious commodities, and so we give him, um, you know, a place to dwell, a kingdom um, of, of gold, and 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 what is you know fit for a king. So yeah, so those are my uh, those are three quick ones. That's I, uh, great. I hope someday to put a, a book together just called Liturgy Tidbits, like things I love that. That's a great idea. You didn't know or anything like that. That's a good idea, and then you can come back and tell us more. So that's good in case people were wondering about incense, candles, and metal ornaments. Mikey, so good to talk to you. Um, congratulations on St. John Paul II Parish and uh, and all, the wor- all you're doing, and I look forward to some more good music from you in the future, okay? Absolutely. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. There you go. That was Mikey Needleman. You can learn more about him and his band, purchase their music, and uh, book them for your next event at their website, mnband.com. Here now is Mikey Needleman with Healing in the Waters from his album, We Ask of You. This world sees so much pain Heaven seems far away We can be so afraid To let him take our shame Faith in his mercy We're listening to the Mikey Needleman Band with Healing in the Waters from their album We Ask of You, and that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that if you tuned in late, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where you can learn all about our featured artists and guests. And remember that you can subscribe for the Salt and Light Hour podcast on iTunes and also on Google Play. Make sure you log in and write us a nice review. Give us lots of stars. Yes. And if you want to reach us, I'm at Deacon Pedro GM and Billy is at at Bijo Chan. And I'm at Emmy Callen. Thank you for being with us. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm Emily Callen. And this has been the, the Salt and Light, Light Hour. Hour.
what we need. We are his hands and feet, his body that believes. We bathe in his power.